Hello and welcome to Parkbench, Theater Simple's mobile interview outpost where we invite people to have a seat and have a chat. This is the first installment of our four-episode collaboration with the Network of Ensemble Theaters, focusing on Past Forward, the June 2017 Net National Gathering and Symposium. Parkbench is a change of perspective that looks a little like a rolling hill and arrives into an urban environment, a mall, a parking space, or a national gathering, and asks passers-by to share their thoughts while sitting and observing their present situation. Founded in the mid-1990s by a small group of ensemble theaters, NET has grown into a vibrant national community of over 350 members, including Theater Simple. The 2017 National Gathering brought together NET members, artists, educators, activists, funders, policymakers, and others with an interest in collaborative creation across disciplines. They gathered for four days just after midsummer on the beautiful campus of the University of Washington in Seattle. And Parkbench was there, talking with participants about the importance of art and ensemble theater practice and the gathering itself. We generated so much great sound that we have spread it over four half-hour podcasts to be released in the coming weeks. Many thanks to everyone who stopped to chat with Simpleton's Andrew Litsky, that's me, and Lisa Holland. We dive right in, talking with Lori McCants, founding member of the Bloomsburg Ensemble, one of NET's founding companies. Please forgive the noise, as we are outside on a busy college campus that seems to be cheerily under constant construction. And now we present part one of Past Forward, the 2017 Net National Gathering and Symposium. So, uh, talking about lineage and talking about where mm-hmm. you've come from, um, and Bloomsburg being mm-hmm. one of the founding companies of, of Net, mm-hmm. and you being a founding member mm-hmm. of, of Bloomsburg, where did you start with? ensemble theater or what was it that well, kind of brought you to it? Well, um, those of us who were founders of Bloomsburg Theater Ensemble came out of Northwestern University, which at the time had a very strong mine company. Uh, they were very dedicated to uh, ensemble work and um, we were kids of the 60s, so we were also inspired by uh, the work of the experimental theaters uh, in our nation. Um, the Living Theater, uh, Mabu Mines, Wooster Group, um, Teatro Campesino. Um, we knew all about those companies and were, you know, thrilled by what they were doing with theater in our world. Uh, we came to Bloomsburg to study privately with a woman who was 83 years old, coming out of very old school um, uh, theater training. However, she was uh, she was uh, teaching from a sense of almost desperate despair. That's really great sound sound effect there. It's all um, part of the environment. But it was a great thing because she was so she wanted us to start a theater, so the theater would be saved. So it was like this 83 year old sensibility of oh my God, theater is dying connected up with this, you know, we were all in our early 20s going, theater is thriving because of people like us. And, and we're we, going to change it and we're gonna, more. We're gonna cha- and we're going to do it. And we did it. And you keep doing it. And we keep doing it. Um, we're going into our 40th season. What's the importance of times like this to kind of get away or 
times, times like this to get together. Oh. Um, you talked about the two and a half weeks that you've kind of been on yeah, the TCT yeah, conference. Yeah, for me it was inspiration, seeing other people's work, learning from other people's work, and especially with NET, with the kind of... Um, sessions that they have planned here, information. I mean, I just sat in on a, on a uh, really informative session about creating work samples um, for grants and for uh, promoting yourself. Oh, with um, Jessica? Um, she was on, yeah, on Kickstarter. Yeah. yeah, she was great. What does network of ensemble theaters mean to you? Is there a particular word that is more important in that? Um, for me, it's network. For me, it's network. Um, it's meeting other folks. Um, seeing their work, learning from them. Um, it's also led to, you know, collaborations. I love that NET is now, we are at the point now that we are able to give grants ourselves. And that just, that's very meaningful to me. Is there something that just really kind of opened your mind up to some new ways of doing things, whether it relates yeah, to ensemble or not? Yeah, well, it, it, this is a very famous piece of theater. I was lucky enough when I was a sophomore in college to do London Semester Abroad and I got to see Peter Brook's Midsummer Night's Dream twice. Twice. And that work, it still informs me. It's, it was so beautiful. It was so joyful. It, the whole ensemble was fantastic. Um, the, the connection with... It was not only visually beautiful in a completely surprising way at that point, because it just completely went outside the Shakespeare box. Yeah. Um, but also, uh, the, the connection with the audience was so direct. Immediate. Immediate. And um, it was beautiful. And that, I carry that with me always. Uh, yeah, my name is Kennedy Cabasaris. I'm part of Pull Project Ensemble. I'm Tracy Kotokiriyama, and I'm also a part of Pull Project Ensemble. We were invited to panel for tomorrow's uh, plenary uh, in the evening about xenophobia and presenting uh, uh, theater work and xenophobia. Kennedy is the aerial artist, choreographer, actor, and I'm a writer-actor. Um, and yeah, so together we make up this ensemble and we have a big team that we're working with for our current show called Tales of Clamor. So um, it's uh, really an analysis of a a set of case studies um, that center around what was called the Commission on Wartime Relocation and Internment of Civilians. They had hearings that were filmed Mm -hmm. um, by a group in L.A. It's incredibly powerful and compelling. It's over 26 hours of testimonies. Wow. And um, people who were speaking in 1981, nearly 40 years after being put away in camp during World War II um, as Japanese Americans, and, um, you know, really breaking their silence for the first time in nearly four decades. Right. So it's very compelling footage. And um, so... We are utilizing that as a case study in our show. It's a play about how do we today get people to speak out, uh, right. uh, out um, about injustice and, and mostly xenophobia. Today's it's a how xenophobic world right now. Uh, it took uh, a whole um, a whole community of Japanese Americans of, of a generation of, of several generations uh, to speak up in order for that to happen, and not just Japanese Americans either. Uh, the, the, one of the major sponsors, the, the Black Caucus was involved. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the Congressional Black Caucus was involved. Or oh, the ACLU. American Friends. Mm-hmm. So a lot, of, a lot of different groups came together to, to speak out for, for this cause. There are so many people, even in my own Japanese-American community, 
that have never seen this footage, that don't think about redress, that have kind of, you know, I think in some ways forgotten or they just don't consider it. When you hear the term or hear the words network of ensemble theaters, which word pulls at you? I can't separate any of that because I think theater is the base. It's the it's the mm-hmm. inner passion and pull. And um, it's what I feel has guided me partly in understanding the value of collaboration being an incredibly fruitful process. Mm-hmm. You know, folks will talk about how collaboration is sometimes harder. But I don't think so. I think it's more about it just takes a different process and it takes a different path. Mm-hmm. And I think it's ultimately super fruitful for the material. What's buzzing What's buzzing in your head? What's what's hitting your your ideas, your brain pans? I, I think those, those two words from uh, the last speaker, was it Daryl? He used the phrase uh, legal fiction. The United States is, is guilty of a lot of legal fiction. Um, and that's <laughs> like, that. Uh, those legal fictions create xenophobia. And I think that, that, that concept is really, it resonates because of the work we're doing. That, so exactly. that, so that, that, that phrase really stuck out. Mm. And then he said another phrase, which was um, cultural trauma. Mm-hmm. which is mm-hmm. a, a byproduct of this legal fiction. Right. I can't help but think about Gordon Hidabayashi, you know, um, and and what he means to the people of this city. Mm-hmm. And for those who don't know, so he was um, 23, 24 years old, uh, um, a student at the University of Washington, right? Where we are right now. I believe he was. Yes, yeah, yes, yeah. yes, yes, yes. It was, was here. That's right. Because of his moral compass as a Quaker and also his knowledge and understanding of the Constitution, he could not allow himself to go to the camp. So he refused it and became one of the three quorum nobis cases um, that was challenged in the Supreme Court. Um, Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think he was somebody of like such great conscience and and peace Mm -hmm. and friendship. Excitement about tomorrow? Anything? Um, I can't wait to hear about the work that other people are doing right now yeah. and um, the ways in which people are working across mm-hmm. sector and across genre and, mm-hmm. and field. And Yeah. Cool. Yeah, collaboration. Yeah. Me too. And I, I also think just people uh, who are in ensemble theaters, it's, it's great that we can come together and, and uh, figure out what direction we're going and figure out, of, uh, you know, uh, talk about our challenges and and how uh, how we succeed it's, mm-hmm. it's great to, to interface with other people and, and figure out those things out my name's sal manino i'm uh, an independent creative producer what what does the network of ensemble theaters mean to you uh, do for you or important about it um i think it's even in the name you know i think networking is so important and the people who are doing work around the country we're all trying to have similar conversations and to increase empathy in our communities and get our communities talking and I think we're all facing similar challenges no matter where we are in the world or the country and um, I think the world is very open to the possibilities right now I think our audiences are craving something different and are craving different ways of receiving stories and the uh, the risk that ensembles take is so important and I'm interested to see how uh, the field evolves and how uh, the art form changes. My name is Megan Weaver, and I am a, an ensemble theater director, practitioner, teaching artist. I live in Austin. Looking at the words, network of ensemble theaters, mm-hmm. do any of those call to you? Any of those speak to you? The whole recipe of 
those three words really speaks to me. Um, and I was very excited when I discovered Ned. It felt like a discovery. Um, I think ensemble theater artists can often feel like explorers in the jungle, mm -hmm. um, lost and alone without a compass or a satellite. And to know that there are many, many other explorers that we can't necessarily see, but who are out there making similar discoveries and that we can share knowledge. Yeah, hacking our way through the jungle and, and that we can get together and, and share what we're learning um, is very comforting and empowering, I think. The built-in or the, the structure of a network of ensemble theaters is very um, empowering to the field and very, uh, it's like a beacon of light for those individuals out there. I had a bit of training uh, in college um, I just happened upon a flyer on my college bulletin board for the National Theatre Institute, and uh, that was what I saw, and so I applied for that, and that uh, is a very um, diversified training program that included some ensemble training among many other more traditional mm -hmm. um, trainings. So that was my first exposure in college, and then when I was 24, my first real job was as a supervisor at a museum, and I was in charge of the music and theatre programming, and they wanted me to enliven the history of the museum for the visitors in new ways using my theater and performance skills. I was there for two years. I had a 17-acre outdoor maritime museum with oh, tall ships. Where was this? This is Mystic, Connecticut. That was where I cut my teeth on immersive theater. <laughs> what's, it, what's it been like for you today? Any, any things buzzing in your brain about what's been already going on? Um, I thought it was interesting what, I think his name is Roger. He said something along the lines of, um, I don't see storytelling as an art because you're not creating anything new, which actually... Um, is sort of how devising is. Like, there's nothing new under the sun. Right. And I think when you get really deep into it, you, we all understand that and wrestle with that. Um, and it can be a very empowering uh, mm -hmm. idea, actually, that we're all reinventing. Mm -hmm. um, it, was a, it was a nice reminder that... That's great. We're inventing using ingredients that have always existed mm -hmm. uh, for an audience that may or may not have ever been exposed and that that alchemy right. is always new. I think it's very exciting to be in a room with people that I can assume I have very much in common with and it's just a matter of finding out what those threads are or mm -hmm. multiple threads. Um, and when I have attended net events or smaller gatherings and meetups, um, I've made some really surprising friends, um, people who I might not necessarily find on my own. Well, sitting up here on the park bench, mm -hmm. what's it like? It's what's beautiful. It's dusky. It's cool. There are um, little groups of people that I see in little circles talking or just sitting and enjoying the atmosphere. Um, I see a lot of smiles. I hear a lot of happy chatter and voices. Um, and it's exciting to think that maybe not all these people have known each other before today. My name's Tom Pasculi. What's your name? <laughs> Michael Brown. <laughs> I'm from, I have, a, I have a company called Walkabout Theater in Chicago, and there's, uh, we're an ensemble of eight, and we've been with NET for, I think, three years now. You're, yeah. you're with uh, Columbia College? Columbia College, yeah, and I have been for um, a couple of years now. I founded and, and am directing a, a, an MFA program in... Um, uh, it's it's very haughty title is an MFA in European devised performance practice. I mean my my lineage um, uh, to lay that out. I come from a Le, uh, a, a Lecoq um, uh, yeah. uh, lineage, and uh, and then I spent ten years in London uh, prior to coming to Chicago uh, teaching at a, a Lecoq based school. So my, I'll just jump right into my lineage conversation because yeah, it's related. But um, uh, I was a company member at Double Edge Theatre for. I was an apprentice first and then a company member for um, three years and then I mean ever since being at Double Edge my idea of ensemble 
work and ensemble work in the United States has been really based on their model or their paradigm in, in terms of creating a laboratory practice in addition to performance material. In Chicago, Red Moon um, was a really important institution that brought a bunch of us together so they had a, a program where they would work with a bunch of artists and their spectacle and experience-based work our work with we, we ended up working early on with a woman named Anna Helena McLean from uh, who had been a, a company member of Garjanica in Poland for a long time mm. um, we've pulled in Mario Biagini, who's in the open program at the Work Center for Jersey Kwiatkowski and Thomas Richards, and, and none of the circumstances are the same, right? None of the context is the same for how the laboratory theaters that I feel like I'm rooted in, like how they came to be and why they came to be, the context is so different for what's going on in Chicago that, that we're really bumping into like, oh, okay, this is, this is why they did it that way and this is why we don't do People are going to go, don't do it this way. This latter part of the conversation is one that I'm aware that's part of his process right now, but I'm hearing it like articulated for the first time on this podcast. So it's really cool. I'm sitting here as his friend going, keep talking. This is really interesting. I want to listen to this podcast again. The network of ensemble theaters. What do those words mean for you? Is there a word that is more important that you know really draws you in or defines what the network of ensemble theaters is about for you? The political act of forming a community that's based... On a, on a shared objective or with a shared intention that's not rooted in a, a monetary value system is, is difficult and, and, and political, right? For us to come together and work so hard not for money is a crazy concept. And I think that's one of the things that's so exciting about it. So Columbia College, where Michael works and I also work, has 900 theater students, 900 theater students in one college. Like, the, the number of, of students that are flocking to these theater programs where there is no field, there's no industry to support this level of people jumping in, right? So people are interested in spiritual work or work that is not rooted in a monetary value system. I don't know. Coming here is just exciting. I, I don't know why that it's exciting, except that it's, like, exciting. Already. I mean, we've had one day, and I have sure. a whole list of things that I'm ready to go back to my company with in terms yeah. of questions that I've had that I now feel capable of reframing. Another thing that Tom and I both share is the intentionality of, of a particular piece of work. Um, I've, I've watched Tom's company work for a year or two years on a project I do this the same thing um, something will take as long as it needs yeah? there's an intentionality about the creative work and the people that you're doing it with mm. that I, I think I think is a, is a sort of a, a very much a shared ethos here and moving forward even our idea of what we need right because I mean there's a lot that's going on this weekend that I, I wouldn't have myself uh, thought about but then I, I sit and go oh yeah actually that's something I want to be engaged with I said it doesn't sometimes I don't question how much infrastructure we want to spend time building when everything feels like it's shifting anyway but it does feel like this creates the possibility of structure kind of popping up when it's needed what this sort of organization does or what this sort of um, uh, coming together uh, does is create the possibility for those little ad hoc structures to emerge where they're needed but that don't become the sort of bricks and mortar institutions that then solidify and calcify. It's that nimbleness that's both, that's the knife's edge that I think in a way we all choose to live on. 
My name is Brianna Susan Smith. I am in town from Austin, Texas, and I'm with a group called Taproot uh, that operates out of Charlotte, North Carolina, and Austin. We're sitting up here. Uh, your probably eye level is about eight and a half, nine feet right now. Um, how does it feel to be up on the park bench here? It's, it feels pretty magical. Yeah. I love it. A little, <laughs> little different perspective I than... Feel like uh, I'm like a on a throne or something. It's a mini stage of sorts. <laughs> this is our, our little out, interview outpost. Tell me a little bit about where you are now as kind of a creative being. It's funny because recently, uh, probably in the last year, I've started becoming really interested in ritual as performance and performance as ritual, um, kind of going along with the experiential elements of the performance that I've been doing. And this idea of, uh, of getting back to something that feels... Um, human, I guess, in terms of performance that uh, that feels less about what we're always taught and more about getting back to like, what is it that when we come together in a space together that we're looking for, where the audience is an active part of the success of the piece and really interested in um, how do we sort of decentralize the power structures that exist a lot of times in in performance and in art, this idea of that there's you know, one central city or that there's one big company or that there's one big funder, but rather looking and saying, how do we create spaces? I mean, kind of like what y'all are doing right now, um, where we, where we create room for audiences and performers and for art and storytelling and to, to just become this human interaction. Is there a moment, like literally something that kind of crystallized for you that made you say, that's it, that's what I want to do. I think my sophomore year, there was a class that they offered uh, called Collaborative Ensemble Aesthetics. Oh, I have something to say, and there's a way that I can say it, and I actually enjoy saying it in this way more than I would if I was just writing, you know, not mm. just writing plays, but if I was, you know, strictly a playwright um, and not interacting with an ensemble, and I, you know, it kind of changed my whole life. What's important about this aesthetic and this art form for you? In terms of this organization is the word network. Um, so often I've been in situations where I felt like um, where I felt like I was constantly having to prove myself. And when I came to my first net event, which was a couple years ago in Maine, I immediately felt like everyone was totally open and responsive and uh, and that there wasn't I didn't feel the need to kind of put on airs and like prove something to everyone. I felt like I could just be human in space with people. And that to me is what's beautiful about it. You know, there's just, it's a different kind of um, empathy and artistic growth that you get when you don't have to have all the answers all the time. And when you don't have one person who always has the answers. I know that at, one, at least one point during this gathering, someone will say something that I'll go, Oh my goodness, I've never thought about that like that. <laughs> You're totally opening my brain right now. And I'm just, I'm ready for that to happen. I've got my notebook ready to take notes. I'm Kevin Griffith. I'm, uh, I'm with the University of New Orleans. I'm a, a scenic designer. I've recently uh, uh, started work with Mondo Bizarro. Nick Sly in New Orleans. I've known Nick uh, for several years now. I met Nick actually probably, I think it was the summer of 2005. Uh, it was actually about 
four weeks before Katrina. And I was, I was sort of going down this jaded trail and getting very uh, sort of tired of the theater and, uh, and this sort of hierarchical arrangement and this, this way, this, this uh, model for collaboration that was, it was really frustrating for me. And, uh, you know, I felt left out of a lot of conversations. Uh, so finally, those two worlds at the perfect time in my life sort of overlapped and came together. Doesn't and, happen that way. That yeah. was, it was magic. Um, the words network of ensemble theaters. Uh-huh. What does that mean for you? What's important about that? Is there one particular part of that that speaks to you more? What I hear when I hear that is a group of individuals who have sort of developed or, or these ideas about uh, approaching theater making, about approaching collaboration, uh, and about sharing work, how they gather, how they create, how they, how they uh, actualize. Is there a moment of... An experience with art. My grandmother encouraged me in, 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 in drawing and painting and music. You know, my grandfather was a carpenter, so there was always the craft, you know, and I can't remember not kind of doing what I do, except I feel like this last sort of um, uh, evolution, you know, in this move in, toward, you know, this ensemble thing, it's just so open. Nick puts it a funny way to me. He says it, it's, uh, it's low ego, high investment, hmm. you know, uh, and, uh, uh, and that's the, I guess in a nutshell, that's almost the sense of the work the sen- that, that I get when I work with these people I'm working with now uh, in Mondo and Bizarro is, is uh, you know, ego down, investment up. My name is Boosie peters Morn, and how did I get here? Through being a member of Alternate Roots. The work that I get most passionate about is around empowerment of women. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel that women are the key to combating against a lot of the challenges that's going on on a global level. Uh, looking at um, two proverbs that, that our organization goes by, which is first the women heal the women and then the women heal the men. And when you educate a man, you educate an individual. But when you educate a woman, you educate a nation. And so I truly believe that that is true. And as a result of being in a society that is patriarchal and what it's done in terms of the image of God and make, took away the goddess, mm-hmm. uh, we tend to not see God in women. And so we see, unfortunately, the fallout of a testosterone-fueled war world that's not being held accountable by its female counterparts. Mm-hmm. And so when our women start really knowing their power and who they are and um, understanding and understanding their strength and that really they are the ones that have the, the, the power to help this world be healed, mm-hmm. is Mother Earth and Father Sky, that indigenous uh, societies believe in, which are the ways of my ancestors, and unfortunately, those belief systems have been toppled, and so now we see the fallout of it. If I say the network of ensemble theaters, those three words, network ensemble theaters, which one draws you more, and for what reasons? I, I can't say that one draws me in more than the other because I'm very much attracted to networking. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think that at the end of the day, the most important thing that we have on the planet is each other. So networking and ensemble it kind of are 
complementary. They like it's like beautiful and pretty. You know, mm-hmm. they kind of they intersect. They have right. p- pretty much the same concept. So um, at the end of the day, we can't do anything by ourselves. So it's best to formulate an ensemble, network with the ensemble, and network mm-hmm. with other people. And so I I just see them. I can't I can't choose one over the other. They both are very important. Was there a moment in the past, in your creative past, that put you on the path that you are now to be here today? Uh, well, as a woman that's of you know descent of indigenous people, there's been a lot of bloodshed for me to be in a position that I'm in. So mm-hmm. I learned that at a very young age, coming from my community, I'm as the hip hop generation says, from the Boogie Down Bronx, coming from New York. Um, there's a lot of history and culture around pushing forward for the empowerment and freedom of, of my ancestors and of my people. So mm-hmm. at a young age, um, I just felt that I had to be a part of the movement of, of empowering and healing and pushing through what legacy builders had already been doing and working on and now they're no longer here. What am I going to do? What's my part going to be? I'm one of the people that's one of my biggest heroines, not only in terms of my mother, my grandmother, and the women in my family, but growing up and learning about people like Harriet Tubman, David Walker, you know, and Megan Evers. I mean, these are people who gave their lives. Some, unfortunately, had their lives taken. You know, blood was shed and they were not able to even do half the things that I've been able to do. So I don't take it lightly and I don't take it for granted. What are the populations that you like to work with or that you have been working with? Um, working with women. Our organization is called WOO. It's an acronym for, like, Women Healing and Empowering Women. Mm-hmm. And to uh, think of the term of WOO to exhale, like, WOO! Or yeah, yes, exactly. Right, because we all need to exhale. Right. And it's a reentry program addressing the fact that our women have been outpacing our men going to prison and how it's rooted in domestic violence and homelessness. And so um, the arts are the ways that we address these issues, whether it's puppetry, mask, using masks, using uh, different forms of theater, theater of the oppressed uh, techniques, using drumming, dancing, singing, poetry, tap dancing, uh, ballet folklorical dance, mm-hmm. African dance, all the, the different genres of the arts. We use it all. But can you think of a moment or an image that took your breath away? Absolutely. There was a performance um, that this young lady, um, Jasmine, I can't remember Jasmine's last name right now. It's interesting that you would ask me this question because I was just thinking about her performance today. And I saw her performance about four years ago, and yet it has resonated with me that much. So the dance piece was about um, basically a girl. It was showing the transition of a girl from her innocence of just being happy and dancing and doing different dance gestures that symbolize uh, uh, innocence and um, protection. And then and through the music and through the dance, she showed this transformation of this girl. She never spoke until the end. And, and when she did say something, it was like, you know, it, it was a portrayal of this person who was no longer this innocent child who had her innocence just taken away. I remember this woman next to me, we didn't even know each other, and we just grabbed each other, and we were consoling each other. Sure. 
Um, and and we just, I mean, it was. Well, I'm welling up, and I'm just talking <laughs> to me about it. Yeah, so like, <laughs> yes, yeah, so it was. It was a just a remarkable performance. And so I guess one of the reasons why it really touched me is because at the root of women in, in prison is molestation, rape, and incest. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and that's at the root of this country, actually, is that this country was built off of the sexual way violence. of sexual violence. Yeah. Big picture, what's buzzing around in your head today from, from all the stuff that you've just, you know, had poured into your head? And... Well, what's buzzing around in my head is um, how to use the information that I've thus Learned just in this, this short amount of time. It's been a plethora of information just in a matter of a half <laughs> of a day. And I can't imagine what's more to come between now and Sunday. Cool. Sitting here, I was thinking of, okay, how I'm going to use this information to forward the work that we're doing around Be a Ripple in the Pond movement. More right, just taking the ripple that's this. That's, and, that's and it. Passing it. Absolutely. Keeping the ripple moving. Absolutely. And uh, just What's it like being up on top of the park bench? What do you think? It is a dynamic view that, first of all, I'm a huge lover of nature. So, yeah, and, and being up here high on this view, I get to see it from a different perspective. So, nice, yeah, it? I love it. listening to Park Bench and part one of Past Forward. Many thanks to the network of ensemble theaters, and particularly Alicia Tonzik and Park Cofield, without whom this iteration of Park Bench would not have been possible. Thanks also to the University of Washington School of Drama. If you have any questions or comments about the podcast, you can contact Theater Simple at thsimple at gmail.com. And you can learn more about Theater Simple at theatersimple.org. That's T-H-E-A-T-E-R simple dot O-R-G Our music is the work of Rob Whitmer and the amazing Chandra Cogburn and you can find out more about her at ChandraCogburn.com That's C-H-A-N-D-R-A C-O-G-B-U-R-N dot com The Park Bench interviews were conducted by Lisa Holland and Andrew Litsky who also edited this episode Thanks so much for listening and we hope to see you on the Park Bench someday Have a seat and tell us your thoughts. We'll tell the world.